www.thebookclub.net if you want. Um, but I'd love to hear any of the questions you have as we, we go through this book. But Well, uh, let's see. I, I want to start off this morning. Uh, the, the year was 1817 in Britain. And a story of an archaeological find in Egypt had taken place just a few years earlier by an Italian architect named Giovanni Belzoni. The temple of Ramses II had been found in Egypt, and a mighty statue of his visage had been unearthed and was being transported back to the British National Museum. And in this year, the word of the return of this statue had reached the ears of a man named Percy Shelley, prompting him and a friend who were in a, a bit of a poetic battle, poetic battle, kind of to see who could write the best poems, about the statue and this find that they had. And what follows here, I want to read, is regarded as probably his greatest work, if you believe that he had nothing to do with Frankenstein. Some do, but if you believe he had nothing to do with it, it's called, uh, titled Ozymandias. And it's the Greek name for Ramses II. And I want to read this to you, and I'm going to give my shout out to Gabby, who also tur- gave this to me. So thank you, Gabby, uh, who was just up here praying. She, she turned me on to this. Listen to this, this poem and to hear the beauty of what he wrote here. He said, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survived, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. You know, this poem uh, for it was a really a reminder of the harsh reality of life that we all face. I think Ecclesiastes reminds us over and over again of the very futility of grasping after the very things that we think on this earth. If we only have those things, we believe they will give us purpose and give us meaning. So far, we've seen some of the things such as grasping after reward in this life or grasping after power and resource, grasping after time, grasping after last week we saw of wisdom. And how each of those grasping outs, what happens is it's like chasing after the wind and those things slip through our fingers because they are nothing more than what? Hevel. Futility. And this week we come to the futility of grasping after immortality, for grasping and leaving a legacy. You know, in in this poem, Ramesses had this this, uh, proud notion that all would look on his visage one day as they came by, look on his works in what? Despair. That his power and his legend would go on indefinitely, and his life would change the world. 
You know, it's interesting, even in Ramses' name highlights the irony that no kingdom stands forever, right? Even in this understanding of what we know him as, we don't even know him often as Ramses. We know him by his Greek name. But even in the Greek name, the Egyptian and the Greek reminds us that what? Empires both start and end, though they were once powerful, right? And the reality of it all is, is there, would be dis- there would be despair for all who read this visage, right? But ironically, not the one that I think that he envisaged, envisioned it to be. The despair comes not in the might that he displayed, but in what? The harsh reality of the end of that poem of the lone and level sands stretching far away. Because the reality is, is for three th- over 3,000 years, that statue had li- been where? Underneath the sand. Unknown for 3,000 years that it even existed. Till happenstance opened it up. The despair is that this, that this life in this world does what? It eats us up, it, chews, it spits us out, and it turns over as though we never even mattered, right? The world will keep turning. It doesn't even notice. And what do we do? We grasp for Im- immortality over and over. We still grasp for immortality, thinking that what? Our lives will leave an impact, outlasting us, do they not? Whether it be in our jobs Right? You know, jobs are things that we're going to create. This upcoming Tuesday, in two days, there's going to be a, a memory and a, a legacy of a man who had a great idea that's changed our whole world, right? Anybody remember what happened in 2017 at this year, in September 2017? One of the greatest inventions ever made. Anybody know what it is? You're going, I didn't know it was already 16 years old. I don't have one in my pocket, but I bet you most of you do. The iPhone. Steve Jobs, 16 years ago, the iPhone that was created that will change the world. And yet, here we are on what? The 15th version of it coming out this Tuesday. And where is Steve Jobs? I don't mean to be crude in that. But, and what, one thing is going to be true, the iPhone will go in, off into existence and be forgotten, Right? We think in our things that we are going to invent something that's going to change the world and go on forever, yet they may not. Or maybe, how about in our content? If only if I'm going to write the book or I'm going to create the vlog or I'm going to do some blog or even maybe my Facebook post that I need to put out there that's going to change somebody's life, right? So I better say it because somebody's life might be changed truly and live a different life because of what I've put out. Nobody here has ever done that, right? You say, Christopher, I don't live for those things. I don't live for immortality. I don't live for anything past my life. I just want to live a quiet life. I just like to do my thing. But what about our children? Those of us, we say, I don't want to leave any legacy for myself. I just leave, you know, I can keep, leave my name out there. It doesn't matter. What about the, the legacy we like to pass on with our children? Right? They'll be successful, and they're going to carry on the thing that we couldn't. We don't, I don't care if they don't remember me, but I'm going to make sure that my kids have every opportunity, and they're going to outlive me, right? They're going to take it on, and they're going to carry on, and we, we pour into it, right? Or I think some of us, we just simply don't want it all to end, right? We come to the end of this life. We come to, to seeing death in the face, and like Dylan Thomas, we start to cry out in the famous poem, right? What is it? Do, no, do not go gently into that good night. What? Rage, 
rage against the dying of the light. See, Ecclesiastes is a reminder about the reality around us. And I think it helps us to take a step toward living for something more than our existence right here, right now. And what I want to look at today, I want to look at three things. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at those three things, and then we're going to gather together, we're going to discuss them together, and then we're going to find one thing that can last far beyond our 70 or 80 years that we have here. So if you would, look with me again in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And I love how Michael, you know, started that. It's like, yeah, welcome to, welcome to grace, right? I mean, man, Solomon, really, where's the, where's the hope in this, right? But he starts off, he's saying, he's reflecting on all the things, all the chapters he's been talking about the last two chapters about wisdom. We looked at that last week. He said, I concluded that the righteous and the wise, as well as the works uh, that are all in the hand of God, whether a person will be loved or hated, no one knows what lies ahead, right? In other words, he said, no one knows what's going to happen. He says, none of us really have truly any idea what's going to even happen tomorrow, let alone later today. We don't know what's going to happen months down the road. We like to live as though we do, but we don't know. But when he says, there is one thing I do know for certain. In verses 2 and 3, he says, this I do know, one thing that is certain. This is our first point. First is that everyone shares the same fate. The righteous, and I love it, the wicked, the wicked. The good and the bad, the ceremony clean, unclean. If you offer a sacrifice, you don't. You're good, you're a sinner. You make a vow, you're afraid to make a vow. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. What is one thing that is certain in this life, no matter who you are, what's going to happen? Death. Death is certain no matter what we do. He said, this is the unfortunate fact about everything that happens on earth. The same fate awaits everyone. In addition to this, the hearts of all the people are full of evil. And there's folly in their hearts during their lives. And then they die. That's life. Life is about getting to death. It's going to happen. But there's hope, right? There's hope. But, verse 4, but whoever is among the living has hope, right? A live dog is better than a dead lion, right? He's saying better, better at least to be alive, to have something, maybe near nothing but then dead. But, right, there's hope in that, right? It says, nope. Verse 5, for the living know that they will die. Well, so you may be alive, but you know that death is coming. But the dead don't even know anything. They have no further reward. And even the memory of them disappears. Man, how, how sad is that? Even the memory of them disappears. What they loved as well as what they hated, they envied. They, it all perished long ago, and they no longer have a part in anything that happens on the earth. All about us will disappear. Good, bad, indifferent. And I think, I, I love this. This kind of makes me think of, there's a, 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 a rapper named Macklemore. If you know, so we've got Kanye, now we're going to get Macklemore. But I love in one of his songs, it's called Glorious. It's about him living a life to become glorious, to be above all things. He's going to make a name. He's going to do something. And I love this line in here. This is what he says in his first verse. He says, I heard that you die twice. I'm not going to wrap it. Ashley promised me not to do that. I heard you die twice. Once when they bury you in the grave. I love this. And the second time is the last time that somebody mentions your name. Ooh, that's good. 
So he says, so when I leave here on this earth, did I take more than I gave? Did I look out for the people or did I do it all for fame? Now he goes on to say, legend, it's Exodus, living for euphoria. That's what he's going to say. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go full out. A song about leaving a legend in glorious, but will he be glorious? I'm sorry, Macklemore, though I love your tasty rhymes, I'm afraid not. You will be forgotten. Even the memory of you will disappear one day. So he says there's one certain thing. And so in light of that, though, he gives us a little bit of a call about the simple things. Point two. For point one, there's one certain thing. Point two, the simple things. Look at verses seven through nine. Go eat your food with joy. And you, and you Baptists, you've been looking for this verse. Here it is. And drink your wine with a happy heart. You've been waiting for that one your whole life. Yes. Because God has already approved your works. Let your clothes always be white. Terry, are we still allowed to do that? It's after Labor Day. Where are you, Terry? I don't know. We still allowed to do that one? There you are. Oh, I guess we can. Just kidding. Let your clothes always be white and do not spare precious ointment on your head. Enjoy life with your beloved wife during all the days of your fleeting life that God has given you on earth during all of your fleeting days for that is your reward in life and in your burdensome work on earth. Whatever you find to do with, with your hands, do it with all your might because there is neither work nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave, the place where you will eventually go. So what is Solomon's call here? It's to what? Enjoy the little things in life. How often, church, do we work so hard to do what? To give our kids everything that we didn't have, right? Everything that we think that they need. We're going to work that they have a college tuition. They don't have to pay for it. They don't have to go into debt when they go, right? We're going to work so they have all of the things that I didn't have. My dad told me growing up, he said, you know, he didn't graduate high school. He didn't do anything. Uh, to, he made him, you know, as a self-made man. He barely got his GED. But he said, Christopher, I'm going to grow up. I, I want to make sure you grew up having all the things that I didn't have. That's what we do. He worked, he worked a lot at that. But we say, you know what? We give all the things. Or we, we live for the sports, right? We're going to have all of the sports. They're going to be able to make something. They're going to be able to live for something one day and have the one in a million chance that they're going to actually go on and play in the, in the Major League Baseball, right? So we live for travel ball. We live for the other things that make us miss out in the midst of it on all the enjoyment of the time that we had with them. Just like I like to come home and I hear Pac say to me so often, Daddy, would you like to wrestle? Because he can't say it properly. Would you like to wrestle? And what do I do? I choose to sit and just chill and to get on my phone. Or maybe we sit by si side by side with our spouse, working and providing and doing all the things, right? Or we put our whole into our kids. We say, I'm going to put that on, on hold for my spouse. I hear this a lot. I'm going to put it on hold with my spouse until the kids are out of the home, right? Because we need to put all the time and all the effort in raising the kids. And then whenever they're out of the house, then we'll start to work on ourselves again, thinking that somehow we're going to escape the, fact, the reality that all we're going to have is just a shell of a marriage at best at the end of that. Amen? And we don't enjoy. We sit in our, in our beds with a TV on 
not paying attention and having a conversation with the one beside us. Not enjoying the fruits of the one we became one with. Or we work, but what do we do? We never take vacation. We Americans are terrible at taking vacations, are we not? We work so much, but we never enjoy the fruits of our labor. Or how about this? He says, eat. Don't just eat for function. Don't just eat junk food. But you know what? Every once in a while, go out and have a nice meal. Actually spend a little bit extra on a meal. Don't just go to McDonald's. Don't go to Outback and think that's fine dining. It all tastes the same, okay? I mean, it's not fine dining. It doesn't matter what you get. They all taste the same there. Go out and enjoy something. Spend a little bit extra money, he says. Taste it. Take your time. And also bring other people along and enjoy the meal you have with others. Don't make it just functional. Solomon's call is to enjoy the little things in life. And I think there is beauty in this. Don't just merely enjoy the sun. And don't make, and what do we do? We, we don't enjoy the sunset. We like to go and take a picture of the sunset so we can go and enjoy it later. Yeah, you're laughing because it's true. We don't learn to make music and learn an instrument. We just like to listen to others do it. We don't like to le- uh, help our kids learn how to make cookies. What do we do? We just go out and buy them for them instead, right? Solomon's telling us God has only given us so many days on this earth. And once we're dead, what? You can't live them anymore. You can't go back. Anybody on their deathbed ever say, I only wish I'd have made $3,000 more in life. Then I would have been, would have been satisfied. I only wish I'd have gotten 85-inch TV as opposed to the 75-inch one, right? No, what do we do? People in their deathbed look back and they say, I only wish I'd spent more time with my kids. I only wish I would have noticed them growing up way too fast. I only wish I would have put a little bit of extra time into that, that relationship that I had. I only wish I hadn't pouted and moped and whined and ruined that vacation or that day with everybody else because I was in a bad mood. I only wish I could go back and redo that and just have it back again and enjoy that moment. Amen? What will we do with the days that are given to us, he says? Because, third, there are many uncertain things in lives. That we enjoy the, thing, in the little things because there are many uncertain things. Look at verses 11 and 12. Again, I observe that on this earth, the race is not always won by the swiftest. The battle is not always won by the strongest. The prosperity doesn't belong to those who are the wisest. Wealth doesn't always belong to those who are most discerning. Nor does success always come to those with the most knowledge. For time and chance may overcome them all. He says, you don't know what's going to happen. You may, you may be the wisest, most avid whatever. You could be the greatest baseball player of all time, and you blow your knee out, and you never even make it, right? And verse 12 is kind of like the, uh, you know, got hit by a bus verse right here. Surely, no one knows his appointed time. Like a fish that's caught in a deadly net, fish is just swimming along, right, and <whistles> swept up. Didn't know it. A bird caught in a snare. Boom. Just like them, all people are ensnared in an unfortunate time that falls upon them. Just like that. Solomon says, enjoy the days because though you and I try to live our lives to leave a legacy, so much of it is completely out of our control. He says, you don't know what what will happen in life. And just like that, it could be over. 
And I kind of try to put this a little bit together here. This is, it's kind of messy, but you're kind of seeing these three things. I, I see it as like we can be sure about one certain thing, which is death. So we should enjoy the simple things. Why? Because we cannot be sure about the many uncertain things. I think this is what Solomon is trying to tell us. And I think that he's right. I think there is truth to what he's saying. However, I think it still lacks that one thing. But before we get there, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to break up into some small groups. You've got... Yeah, living for eternal things. And I think it's a good, yeah, so if, we, if our life is finite, right, there's only so much, we don't live for the finite things. If we live for the finite things, right, then everything that we build is going to be finite. And it will ultimately be hevel. It will ultimately be futile. But there is something. Is there something, is enjoying the little things all we have? And though that's good. Is that all we have, though? Can we live for something that's outside that now outlives ourselves. That is truly immortal, and I think the answer is absolutely yes. And I think both Jesus and Paul give us that answer. Look with me real quick in Matthew chapter 6. I'm not going to get into these deeply, but and if you're going to your life groups or whatever, you might you know, discuss these or discuss them with your family to, to go a little further. But, you know, uh, Jesus is talking about on his Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about this idea in 25 through 34 of chapter 6 about all this issue of worry. That we worry about so much that we're going to worry about working our fingers to the bone in order to have or that our family may have or whatever it is. And we worry and we put so much time into what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do. But I love Jesus gets to the end of this. He says, you know, in verse 32, it's not up here, but the unconverted pursue these things. Those who don't know Christ pursue the things that are going to be finite. And he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these. But I love this in verse 33. He says, but above all, above all of other things, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the things, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we try to go and pursue will be added to us as well. He says, then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. I think in some sense he's saying, enjoy the today there. But in the enjoyment of the today, that we should also not live for the things that are secondary, but live for the one thing that's primary. And our primary pursuit, Jesus says, as followers of Christ, should be for his kingdom and his righteousness. Why? Because our kingdoms do not last. Remember Ozymandias? Right? The kingdoms do not last. Only Jesus' kingdom will matter in the end. And the beauty is, when his kingdom is first in our lives, we do not need to worry about what we typically build for. It will be added to us, he says. And as a result, I think, when those things are added, what, what can we do? Enjoy the little things. All the more. But I don't think it stops there. Paul, I think, gives us in 1 Corinthians, he gives us the building blocks of that. He gives us a little idea in 1 Corinthians of what those building blocks, what are the things that build for the kingdom of God. Look with me in verses, chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen. 
For the day will make it clear, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what kind of work each has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. And if someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I think there's a, there's a reality there. There's two parts to that. The ever, if you were in Christ, you will be saved. He will redeem, but it's a matter of whether the things that you walk in there with on that day, will it remain or will be burned up and you only remain as though through fire. You barely skinned your way through. Paul says that the precious things in the context here, he's talking about earlier, about the things that are built, the things that are grown, are the very people in our community that we build. The precious things, the silver, gold, and all these precious stones are the people and the lives that we build into for Christ's kingdom. It's the lives that we change for Jesus' sake. And knowing all of our works will be laid out one day and tested with fire, only what is done for the kingdom will remain. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to walk in on that day and enter into glory empty-handed. Not because of me, not because of what I get out of it, but because what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at this last thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I love this, what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. Because he's also talking about on that day. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9 and 10. He says, so then whether we are alive, some versions say in the body, it's another word of saying alive, or we are away, we have died. We make it our ambition to what? Please him. Paul says that it is his ambition to please Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each day one may be paid back according to that which he has done, whether in the body, whether good or evil. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in on that day with my hands full, full of the works for the kingdom, full of the lives that I have helped pursue Jesus. Why? Because I want to please my Savior. Nothing, church, is more precious than pleasing Jesus. And the legacy that I want to leave, the legacy I want us to leave as a church, is building for Jesus' kingdom. I want us to please our Savior. I want us to be able to join together with the saints in glory and take the crowns of righteousness that that JJ uh, read earlier. Remember, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and all for all those who love is appearing. That crown are the people that you have impacted for Christ, for his kingdom. And I look forward to day that when he puts that on my head, and I am just so happy to take it off and throw it at his feet. Why? Because he alone is worthy. I want to please my Savior. And you know what I want to do? I want to stand side by side with each of you and do the exact same thing and watch us all throw him at the feet of Jesus because he is worthy. Amen? And in the meantime, enjoy the little things day by day.
Let's enjoy them together. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you and